Welcome to the Sports Garden Network Podcast, your source for sports entertainment, incredible sports wagering intelligence. Welcome, sports fans. This is Wagering Week. I'm Tom Barton. That's right. We are Wagering Week. Facebook and Twitter is how you get in touch with us. It is Sports Garden, G-A-R-T-E-N, hashtag S-G-N. 855, the number 4, G-A-R-T-E-N, iTunes, iHeartRadio, or any of our fine syndicated affiliates. Oh, yeah, you can hear us all over the place. And we are pumped up for today. Let me tell you, here we go. Week 12 in the NFL is upon us, and where did the time go? But look, week 12 is looking like it's going to be one of the best weeks of the season. There are seven matchups involving teams with records of 500 or better. And of those games, you know, a lot of them, we absolutely have playoff races. We have division races. We have conference best numbers. I mean, it's going to be fantastic, including the AFC North matchup which is the only division where every team has a winning record. So we have a lot to go over there. The Patriots are in first place in the AFC East, and they'll be one game out of the number one AFC overall seed if Houston, uh, which happened last week, would have beaten Tennessee. And yeah, that happened. Could you imagine? Look, how about the other side of the equation here, guys? Teams that are uh, not doing so well. Well, only one team since 1990 has made the playoffs after starting 3-7. and seven. So some of you teams like you Seattle Seahawks, uh, you got a little bit of a worry there. A little bit of a worry. All right. So let's go into it. Look, happy Thanksgiving to everybody out there, everybody who is, uh, you know, celebrating the, the holiday. Enjoy. Enjoy it. Enjoy your turkey. Have fun. Um, sit back. But make sure that you understand, look, there is time to make a little bit, bit of money, right? I mean, there is always time on Thanksgiving to make some money. I think that we have some tricky lines on Thanksgiving. So let's talk about the three Thanksgiving games first. First of all, uh, it's opening up, obviously, Chicago, Detroit, with all of the problems, all of the issues that the Chicago Bears have, guys. I mean, it's it's kind of a disaster at this point. Nagy is a dead man walking, right? I mean, he is a lame duck coach. He got so bad this week that Matt Nagy just kind of canceled practice and then, you know, it was weird against reporters. Look, the guy's a train wreck. Say what you want. He is a train wreck and he needs to go. Players have kind of expressed that. I know Josh Johnson basically uh, didn't defend him. A bunch of players kind of, you know, said, oh, you know what, it, it is what it is sort of thing. They know that he's gone. We know he's gone. And he went as far as to say that even if Justin Fields was healthy this week, he might have started Andy Dalton. I mean, this is the kind of head coach that you're dealing with. I think the only reason that he's here, and I think that a lot of us realize this, the only reason that he's even here right now is because they had a quick turnaround. Right? You have the quick 4 o'clock uh, or the quick four-day turnaround in the early game, uh, the 12:30 Eastern game in Detroit. That's the only reason he's here, or else he wouldn't be uh, – Matt Nagy would not be on the sidelines. They basically have already fired him. I mean, that's what we're looking at for Chicago. With that said, look, Andy Dalton came into the game, and Andy Dalton looked effective efficient. He looked okay. He looked like a guy that could make this offense work. Daryl Mooney looked good at the end of the game. Montgomery is healthy. And the Chicago Bears might have some problems on defense and Khalil Mack, uh, you know, being out for the season and Hicks and Jackson. But they the defense actually played a little bit inspired as well. So look, they have the players. They clearly have the talent. And then you talk about the Detroit Lions. The question was, would Tim Boyle get a second start? His career stats at UConn showed him at 48% completion percentage, one touchdown to 13 interceptions at UConn, guys, right? And he started an NFL game last week through two interceptions. So they're going to do anything they can to possibly get Jared Goff in here. And look, let's not overlook the Lions. They have Jared Goff, who is a talent. I, I don't want to say that he's a top-tier quarterback, but he's a talent, okay? And you know, you then turn around and you go, wait, what about Swift? Yeah, Swift is a talent. Hawkinson's a talent. They got a little bit out there. And then you look at a guy that has, to me, in this game, is going to have an impact. And that's Penny Sewell, who I talked about and raved about going into the draft last year. 
In his last five games, Penny Sewell, 174 pass-blocking snaps, five pressures, zero sacks allowed. It's pretty impressive. From a Bears team that's going to be going after Jared Goff, uh, maybe Tim Boyle, but it's probably Goff, a Bears team that you see you know, coming after them, well, they're not going to be coming after Penny Sewell. So now you can single on Sewell and double on some of the other guys. It, it, you take away Khalil Mack. All of a sudden, this game that the Bears are favored by three and a half, you can make good arguments why Detroit is getting a little undervalued here. They are at home. They're getting the jolt of a quarterback back. They do have some playmakers. Uh, the Bears are limping around. My thing is this, is I don't know how the Bears' mindset will be going into this game. You know your coach is on the outs. You know your coach, look, the coaching staff knows we're going to be looking for a job you know, for the holidays. I mean, that's what we're doing. We're putting together resume tape now. When you start to putting, and the players as well, when you start to put together resume tape, it's not exactly the most efficient football. And you start to put together resume tape and not not efficient football, I have a hard time laying points on the road in this spot. Now, if the debacle of Matt Nagy had not come about this week, or potentially if Ryan Pace said, ah, don't worry, he's perfectly safe. Well, if all that happened and I believed it, Bears minus three and a half makes a lot of sense, okay? They're clearly the more talented team. The Chicago Bears are really a play or two away from being right in this thing. And all of a sudden, their season is kind of just falling by the wayside. They still have playmakers on both sides of the ball. So do the Lions have playmakers on one side of the ball. I got to give the edge to the Bears. But where the turmoil is right now and the way that the mindset of the team potentially might be, you can't feel confident in this game whatsoever. All right, let's go to the 4.30 Eastern time game on Thanksgiving Day. The Raiders at the Cowboys. This line opened up at 6.5. It's up to 7.5. So across that touchdown number, and Dallas has a number of problems going in. Look, the Raiders and the Cowboys both had a number of problems going into this because coming into November, they felt great. Coming into November, Cowboys-Raiders had a combined record of 11-3. and Since the start of November, they've gone 1-5 combined. 0-3 from the Raiders, so they both have issues. But the Cowboys right now, look, no Amari Cooper and potentially no C.D. Lamb. He's in concussion protocol. Now, he missed practice on Monday and Tuesday. Uh, Wednesday, it was a walkthrough. So we don't know the status of Lamb right now. And the Lamb status is something that I think that we really have to focus in on and pay attention to. And, and you really have to turn around and, and make sure that Lamb is playing in this game. I don't think you could lay a touchdown and a half without Lamb in here. And when you start to talk about what Dallas should do as opposed to what Dallas will do, look, last week I thought that Dallas should run the ball all day with Ezekiel, Elliott, and Pollard. And let me tell you something. Elliott does not look good. Elliott doesn't look good, but Pollard looks fantastic. He broke off an early run of 34 yards, right or 31 yards, right away. I looked up, he had 34 yards after like two carries. Pollard was was dominating, and then they just decided to stop running the ball. This is a game without Amari Cooper, without CeeDee Lamb. You need to run it, run it, run it, and then just run it all day. I don't know if they will because they didn't do it last week. And that's a concern. Now, the reason why I say they got to run the ball all day, not only the fact that Cooper and Lamb are out, not only the fact that this is an offense that is dictated by the run. Not only the fact that Pollard looks fantastic, but the Raiders are giving up 132 yards a game on the ground this year. That's fourth most in the NFL. Guys, that's terrible. So you can run on this team. Now, let's talk about the other side of this. Well, the Cowboys have lost two Thanksgiving Day games. All right, you know what? Different teams, not overly worried about that. But I want to talk about the Raiders. Look, besides the Raiders giving up 132, Derek Carr has fallen off the map. And this is the whole thing. Derek Carr has been keeping this team afloat. And the team goes as Derek Carr goes, like most quarterbacks. Derek Carr's got four touchdowns and four interceptions the last three games. That's not going to do it, guys. And the thing is that this team cannot run the ball. So they can't stop the run, and they certainly can't run. Mike Mayock, back out in April, basically admitted this. He said, look, we got to run the ball better. We're going to get Josh Jacobs better. You know, we're going we're to run it. This is what we're going to do. We have got to run the ball and keep a ground game. Uh, the Raiders ranked 28th in rushing in the league. So they ranked 28th in the league. They give up the fourth most rushing yards. This should be ground game all day long. The Raiders cannot win unless they establish the run, and so far they haven't been able to. And you look at uh, a team like the Cowboys, they're missing Randy Gregory, they're missing Demarcus Lawrence. Maybe that's an area that they need to kind of go on. But again, I need to question the Raiders' mentality. I need to question the Raiders' uh, mindset when you're really breaking all this down. Because, look, the Raiders have had 
a, a trying time. Can we say trying? Oh, the Raiders have just had a trying time here. An emotional year with Gruden, with Ruggs, with all the situation. Now they have to take a long flight from Vegas to Dallas. Uh, it's not that long, but it's a long flight from Vegas to Dallas on a holiday, be away from their families on a holiday to play a game that's starting to almost feel meaningless. I, I know Raiders fans, you want to turn around and say, hey, they still got a shot. We've watched the Raiders swoon the last couple of years at the end of the year. We've watched the Raiders fall apart. Well, it wasn't just Gruden. And when Gruden is gone and the team rallies and you start to see, oh, here we go. You know what? The team is going to rally and they started to play well and they won a couple of games. You know, I continue to tell Raiders fans out there, guys, Gruden's a good coach. You might not like him for what he did, and you might not, you know, respect what who he is as a person, but understand he's still a good coach. And you can have a special teams coach jump into this position and kind of hold the thing down and hold it together. You can have somebody come in here and use the old playbook and say, okay, we'll tinker that, and I didn't like that, and I'm going to change that. But three weeks down the road, four weeks down the road, a month in where we are now, all of a sudden, everybody knows the old rule book. Everybody knows the the old playbook. Everybody knows what you're going to do. So you got to switch it up. This is where John Gruden, a good coach, would be able to switch things up. He would be able to get people involved. And I don't think a special teams coach that had never sniffed a head coaching opportunity like this in his life is equipped to do that. So, you know, look, the Raiders have lost three straight. They've looked bad in losing three straight. Their offense can't get anything going. Derek Carr can't get anything going, but it's not necessarily Derek Carr's fault. A lot of the problem is they can't run the ball. Everything says Dallas, but my worry about Dallas is laying this many points in this spot because I watched them last week get away from a philosophy that was obvious to all of us. The philosophy was obvious to all of us that you should run the ball on the Chiefs. You should be able to go after it. You should use Pollard, who's running phenomenally, even with an early start. And they just didn't do it. They went away from what they needed to go away, away from. And that's a concern here. Dak Prescott, by the way, has not looked good. That's a concern here. To me, this is a running game. Who is able to establish the run better? You have to lean Dallas, but I don't know if I'm laying that seven and a half. All right. How about the night game? Thursday night football, 8.20 p.m. on Eastern time, and it's Bills-Saints. You know, this is, a, this is a tricky spot. I think we can all sit back, and even you Saints fans can sit back and say the Bills are a, a way more talented team. And the Saints had been doing this really with smoke and mirrors. Trevor Simeon is 0-3. The Saints are 0-3 since he's taken over. He's completed 57% of his passes during that losing streak. And you start to go, okay, the Saints are without Simeon. Alvin Kamara is banged up. You look at the offensive line, who was missing two offensive linemen last week against Philly. Um, you look at uh, the idea that Michael Thomas was going to come back and rescue the franchise, which was ridiculous in the first place. Michael Thomas isn't coming back and doing anything, any kind of rescuing. And let's really be honest with Jameis Winston. Jameis Winston is a backup quarterback. Now, now Sean Payton tells us he's a starter, right? Let's be honest. So Sean Payton uh, has on his roster and who he's playing with. Jameis Winston is a backup. Jameis Winston's backup is Hill, who they just gave a four-year deal to. Oh, by the way, and his backup's Trevor Simeon. They're re literally playing with a fourth-string quarterback right now. They're backup to a backup running back, a guy that was kind of thrown on the scrap heap at running back. They're dealing with wide receivers that – at best would be number threes on another team. You can't tell me that guys like Callaway. I, I mean, they might not even see. So I would say their entire offense. Oh, and by the way, their tight end, their starting tight end, who should be a backup anyway, but their starting tight end is now out. So I would say you could argue that the Saints are dealing with a fourth string quarterback, a third string running back, all backup third, fourth string wide receivers, a backup third, fourth string tight end. Their offense is a mess. But their defense is pretty good. And Sean Payton is 20 games over 500 in his career as an underdog. They are 4-1 as an underdog against the spread this year. They are 12-3 the last 15 games as an underdog. The Saints cash in as underdogs. Now let's talk about the Bills. Well, the Bills are, are lost right now. I mean, they are a mess. 
I believe the one thing you could count on was that this Buffalo Bills defense would come to play. Even in the loss to Jacksonville, it didn't matter. They outgained them. The defense came to play. Well, not last week. They were run all over. They were embarrassed. I love to take teams off of embarrassment. I like to take good teams that are very talented off of embarrassment. Well, this might be the spot. I just don't love laying points against Sean Payton in that underdog role. The Bills, though, they've averaged three turnovers per game the last three weeks. They lost three turnovers. Now, this is a team that was leading the league in turnover differential, and now back-to-back-to-back weeks, they're turning the ball over. They're looking bad. They're fumbling. It's just not clicking right now. The Bills are 1-3 against teams with a 500 or better record this year. You look at the Saints team, and you go, how are they doing it? And you need to ask yourself for this game, how much stock do we put into last week? Because the Bills looked like garbage defensively last week. But overall, they're still the number one defense in the NFL. Overall, they still have a lot of defensive metrics that you like. Overall, if you can throw that game tape away, you're going to love the Bills' defense. What about the Saints? Well, the Saints look like hot garbage as well, and their defense was just run all over by Jalen Hurts, a quarterback rushing for three touchdowns. And you go, okay, did they just find that problem? Or did the Saints, who we all think are doing this with smoke and mirrors, kind of just come back to the pack? Well, the Saints kind of just exposed where we believe that they would be exposed. This is a total that I'm paying attention to. I would have jumped all over the under. I mean, to me, you look at a, an under here in this spot, and it opened up at 48, and I said, you know, I'm going to jump on this. Uh, but I needed to see about Kamara. I needed to see some injuries. Well, I waited too long. It's down to 45 now, and I don't think that's a playable spot. I don't think you could play it. I expect a defensive game because I think that the Bills' defense is for real. I don't believe that, okay, a one great game by Jonathan Taylor can throw away the entire season, but I wonder if they found something. My thing is that New Orleans won't be able to exploit it. And on the New Orleans side, yeah, I wonder if Jalen Hurts exposed something and can Josh Allen exploit that? Yeah, he's got some wheels, so maybe. This line, by the way, everyone's on Buffalo. Opened up at minus four and a half. It's up to minus six and even six and a half in some spots. By the way, the other totals, uh, Vegas, Dallas has gone down from 54 and a half down to 51 and a half and Detroit, Chicago down from 45 to 41 and a half. So it seems like everybody likes the unders on Thanksgiving Day. So that's Thanksgiving. Uh, you know, there is not a time to ever just kind of say, I- I'm, I'm just throwing away, you know, silly money here. But there's also spots where you just go, you know, maybe maybe I watch this one. Usually I say don't let Thanksgiving pass you by. Don't don't just hang out and say, ah, you know what, I'm going to take today off and just hang out with the family. If you see an angle, go with it. I think there's a lot of questions. Every one of these teams lost last week. Every one of them. I think there's a lot of questions on, the, on these games. You know, the Bears obviously have a, the most questions in the league as of this week. The Bears have questions. The Lions have questions. Plenty of them. Dallas, we have COVID issues. We have concussion protocol problems. you got a lot of questions with the Dallas Cowboys. You turn around and you look at, you know, Vegas. Vegas is nothing but questions, and they've been questions all year. Buffalo and New Orleans, the same kind of thing. So, I do believe that a lot of these games are going to be kind of telling games. Chicago, Detroit, I mean, kind of who cares? You know, Vegas, Dallas. I I think Vegas can get their season back on track with a win, a big win on the road, basically in prime time. I mean, you know, for the whole world to see. Vegas can get their season back on track if they lose. Every Vegas fan is going to go, okay, same thing. We've seen this before. Same thing with Dallas. Dallas has got to get their season, you know, back on track, so to speak, because they were rolling right along. And then, you know, maybe, maybe this is a problem. If Dallas wins, all right. No problem. One bad game. We could move on. Dallas offense struggles here. It's a concern. And then you got Buffalo and New Orleans. Look, New Orleans is trying to save their season. If they're able to win at home against Buffalo, and this is the primetime game in national TV, all of a sudden, New Orleans is that team that you go, okay, they could squeak in. They could start getting healthy, and they could squeak in. Buffalo, it is all about, you know, did you just have a bad game? Did you just have an off game? And that's it. You got to correct things. All right, let's take a quick timeout. Come on back. We'll go over all of the games on Sunday. We have a full slate of games, including some big-time head-to-head matchups that are going to determine playoff seeding and maybe conference winners. All that right after this, right here on Wagering Week. And now back to Wagering Week with Tom Barton. I'll bet you 20 bucks I can get you gambling before the end of the day. No way. I'll give you three-to-one odds. You're on. What are the odds? Okay, guys, what are the odds? Yeah, we're talking about what 
odds are there for coaches to get fired. Maybe Matt Nagy's already been fired. Let's talk about odds for coach of the year, though. Leading the charge is Cliff Kingsbury in Arizona, plus two to one. Bill Belichick, plus 450. I think that's some value there. Zach Taylor, plus 650. Staley, 8-1. to one. McCarthy and Vrabel right about 10-1 to one for them. Nick Sirianni's 30-1. to one. McVay's 30-1. to one. LaFleur's 35-1. to one. Harbaugh's 50-1. to one. And that is what are the odds for coach of the year. That is pretty funny. When I look at this list, you know, and you start to go down the, down the list and you go, um, who can offer some value and whatnot? Look, people are going to probably go crazy about Kingsbury. And Belichick's got to be right there. But Zach Taylor? Yeah, I don't see that at all. I mean, there are people in Cincinnati that uh, I don't blame that don't think he's doing a great job. Uh, Staley? Eh, I mean, he's got to get that team into the place. McCarthy? Mike McCarthy's never going to win Coach of the Year. <laughs> all right? Just, just say that right now. Vrabel should be up there. Vrabel at 10-1. to 1. That's worth a shot. Nick Sirianna wants to – they want to run him out of uh, Philadelphia, so forget about that. I mean, Vrabel at 10-1 to 1 makes some sense. Uh, Matt LaFleur will never get the credit because he's got Aaron Rodgers there. I think John Harbaugh, with the amount of injuries that they have, to me, Harbaugh at 50-1 to makes a lot of sense. And Frank Reich at 60-1. to That makes some sense, too. You know, for me, I'm giving it to Belichick right now. Vrabel would be a good spot to grab at 10-1 to if they could continue to keep this up. But I think Harbaugh probably deserves it. So, remember, we're betting with our head here we're not betting with our heart so it's not a matter of who do we think should win this is a matter of who do we i'm sorry who do we think you know should win in our minds who do we think that they'll choose to win all right let's get into some of these games pittsburgh cincinnati this is a big one Bengals are four point favorites look cincinnati wins this game all of a sudden people are going to start talking about them like we had a couple of weeks ago they looked they put it all together against vegas last week pittsburgh Somehow or another, with nobody on defense and missing everybody, Pittsburgh put it together, and they they really came up with a really good game, even though they lost the game. And in a loss, people started looking at Pittsburgh a little bit differently. Look, they got some superstars. Harris is a superstar, and he just looks great. But can Big Ben lead this offense? Look, he looked pretty good. I mean, the Chargers and Steelers put up 41 points in the fourth quarter last week. That is fantastic. But this defense is still missing some players. And if you listen to the SGN Sunday show, uh, Wagering Week, if you listen to uh, this is Wagering if you listen to Wanna Bet, you listen to me have Josh Taylor on. And when I talked to Josh Taylor, he just thought it was too much for this these, these defensive players last week to kind of get back into the flow, uh, to be able to deal with their loss. Fitzpatrick was out. Hayden was out. Watt was out. Look, some of them are coming back. Watt's not going to come back this week, but Fitzpatrick might be at, back this week. Joe Hayden, there's a question about. This all of a sudden is turning into a Pittsburgh team that maybe they can beat you in different ways. The Bengals haven't swept the Steelers since 2009. In Cincinnati, in the first meeting, they absolutely beat this team up 24-7. to But the Cincinnati defense has not looked like that kind of spot again. You know, I think a lot has to be put on to, do you believe that Pittsburgh has sort of turned the corner? I give the coaching advantage. I just read to you the, the coaches and their odds. I give the coaching advantage to Pittsburgh. I give the defensive advantage, disadvantage. Again, even with the injuries, I got to say that the Bengals are at a disadvantage. I give it to Pittsburgh. So they got the better defense. They got the better coach. They got the better running game. I know Mixon looked good. They got the better running game. So it's really on the offense. And, and Burrow, while he's got a big name and he's got a big arm and he's got a lot of potential, he has thrown an interception in all but one of the last eight games. That's something to pay attention to here. All right, let's go to Tampa Bay and Indy. Oh, this one is going to be good. This one is fantastic. And Tampa Bay comes in. They're two-and-a-half-point favorite against Indy. And the conversation is just going to be Jonathan Taylor against the number one rush defense in the NFL. I, I mean, that's all you have to look. Jonathan Taylor is averaging 158 yards per game the last three weeks. 158 rushing yards the last three weeks. That is fantastic. He's actually leading the NFL in rushing yards, leading the NFL in rushing touchdowns. In his last six games by themselves, Taylor has rushed for just about 800 yards. That would rank fourth in the NFL for the entire season. Remember, I just said the last six games, Taylor's dominating. Jonathan Taylor, you compare him now, you look at him against Derrick Henry. Jonathan Taylor had 193 carries for 1,122 yards. Derrick Henry, 219 carries for 937 yards. Jonathan Taylor, 5.8 yards per carry. Derrick Henry, 4.3 yards per carry. 
18 receptions for Derrick Henry, 32 for Jonathan Taylor. 15 total touchdowns for Jonathan Taylor, 10 for Derrick Henry. So all the love of Derrick Henry, and everybody's going crazy for Derrick Henry. Guys, Jonathan Taylor's putting up those kind of numbers. He is now has 62 red zone opportunities on the season, and he hasn't had his bye yet, okay? So you're starting to look at this, and you're going, wow, Jonathan Taylor is that superstar among superstars. As a matter of fact, I'm starting to hear his name in the MVP conversation, and the MVP is sort of wide open this year. So you start to go down that path. But here it is, guys. Jonathan Taylor is the all-everything. He's do-everything. He just looks fantastic. He's going up against Tampa Bay's number one best rush defense in the NFL. And not only are they number one best rush defense in the NFL, they also just got their star middle linebacker back in Levante Davis. They have White and David, and that's how they play off of each other. The Bucs have only given up 784 rushing yards on the year. That's about 78 yards per game. No other NFL team has surrendered less than 100 yards more than that, okay? 880. So they are 100 yards better than every other team. They're allowing only 78 rushing yards. This is the battle within the battle that we just love it. And look, this is going to determine the outcome of this game. That's it. This is how you handicap this game. The Colts are 6-0 this year when they rush for more than 125 yards. They're 0-5 when they rush for less than 125 yards. Do you believe that the Indianapolis Colts and Jonathan Taylor will rush for more than 125 yards and will have success against this Tampa Bay rushing defense. If you do, you're taking the Colts. If you don't, you're taking Tampa. It's that simple. And by the way, uh, we spoke about MVP. Look, I picked Brady before the year, so obviously I'm biased. But this guy is 44 years old. He leads the NFL in passing touchdowns. He's the MVP of the league right now. He's the MVP. All right, Carolina, Miami, all of a sudden, the Cam effect. Oh, here we go. Cam, what I tell you? Last week, I told you. Oh, he's going to run. He's got to do the stupid Superman thing. Oh, yeah, we're going to go in the middle of the field. Ah, oh, Superman it up. Yeah, you lost. You lost. Cam, you've had two games now. What I watched is in game one, you ran to the end zone, ripped off your helmet, started screaming, I'm back, I'm back like a moron, and got your team a 15-yard penalty. In game two, you ran to the middle of the field on the Carolina emblem at the 50-yard line. You did your Superman pose, and you lost the game. The Carolina Panthers with Cam Newton are what the Carolina Panthers have generally been the entire time that Cam Newton's been there, with the exception of one year, which is a lot of flash, not a lot of substance. Miami, all of a sudden, looks good. Miami, all of a sudden, starting to look like the team we thought that they could be. Could they get themselves back into this thing? Yeah, they can. Miami is a defensive team, and we mentioned this on the show last week. Brian Flores is somebody that is a defensive mind that has a lot of talent on that team. Howard is a talent. Baker's a talent. They have a lot of talent on that team. Wilkins is a talent. And it just didn't come together early in the season. Now, Miami's defense has allowed just 12 points through the last three games. All wins. Miami's defense knows what Carolina wants to do. You're daring Cam to throw the ball. We're, da- we're going to dare you to throw it. Don't let McCaffrey beat you. Don't let Cam on the ground beat you. Destroy that running game, and you're going to walk out of here with a win. You know, d- stop letting the Cam Newton influence kind of overtake you. Here's the thing. The Miami Dolphins may not be able to stop that running game because they've done a lot with the pass rush, and they're coming after him. I don't know if Matt Rule is going to even trust Cam to kind of win this game through the air. So this is going to be an interesting kind of uh, back and forth here. All right. Let's go into the game of the week, in my opinion, uh, of what could be. And that's Tennessee, New England. Everybody is finally on my bandwagon, which is the New England Patriots are a legitimate good team. The New England Patriots are a legitimate playoff team. The New England Patriots... Are a legitimate Super Bowl contender? Yeah, they are, guys. They are at top of the AFC East. They're going into this. It's the same old, same old. And now this line opened at five and a half. It's up to minus six and a half. The Patriots are only one game out. I mentioned this of the number one overall seed. Oh boy, that's a place that Tennessee looked like they had control of until last week, where everyone's survivor pool went down and Tennessee looked absolutely miserable against Houston. That that's just look it. It almost had to catch up to them. This Tennessee team was playing just a game that, if you look at statistics, you go, it was going to happen. They were statistically bad on turnovers. They were statistically bad on point differential. They were statistically just not doing what their record said, okay? 
And you you got to point to everybody and say, look, it's about Ryan Tannehill. We knew that Ryan Tannehill would have to step up, right? When Ryan Tannehill has to step up, it hasn't been good. The Titans have had four games this year where he's thrown 35 or more passes. They're one and three. They're seven and zero when he doesn't throw 35 passes. So it's all about him. And let's not just say it's all about him because this team is built to run the ball and they can't. Since Henry went down, they're averaging less than 70 yards rushing per game. It's just not going to get it done. Tennessee's own do against the Texans and the Jets. I mean, do they just play up to their competition? And maybe this is a game that they play up to. Mike Vrabel has two straight victories against the Patriots. And what has he done in those? Look, he's out Patriots the Patriots or he's out build Bill. I mean, that's really what he's done. The Patriots have averaged 11 points per game. I mean, that's it. 11 points per game in those two games. So, you know, I know it's a good offense, but Vrabel knows what they're going to do. Vrabel understands that. Now, the Patriots' defense on the other side, by the way, they've allowed just 10 points per game in the last two games. So the Patriots' defense, is, and that's at home, have been looking great. Patriots' five-game winning streak, that is the biggest in the NFL. The Patriots are right now getting a little overrated, um, but I, I welcome the people on the bandwagon. I, I do. Look, I think that the Patriots are a very good team. I don't know if they should be laying six and a half. They're Again, they're a team that everybody looks at, and you look at the Patriots and you say, okay, this is a Patriots team that wins dirty. They win ugly. They win nasty. They win in the mud. I mean, that's the kind of game. And when you see wins like that, you look at a three-point win and you go, yeah, that, that, that's about right for Bill. I just don't like laying the points, although I do like this team overall. All right, let's go to another uh, division battle here in a week that has a lot of them. Philadelphia Giants, Philadelphia minus three and a half, and all of a sudden the Eagles are on fire. The Eagles have scored 30 points in back-to-back games. The Eagles are on fire right now. Jalen Hurts has eight rushing touchdowns on the season. That's better than, like, most running backs out there, okay? The Eagles have called 100 passes and 160 runs during the last four games. They are running the ball all day long. Miles Sanders came back. I know he fumbled as soon as he touched the ball, but Sanders is back, and they had Jordan Howard, and they had Gainwell during this, uh, Boston Scott. I mean, they're not using anybody's great names, but it's all on Jalen Hurts, who may not be a great quarterback, but he can run the ball. And we've watched guys that can't really throw the ball but be able to run the ball take over for short periods in the NFL for years now. We just mentioned Cam Newton, right? And teams just have a, such a hard time defending that. They just have such a hard time kind of wrapping their head around it. New York here, look, coming off of a short week. The Giants did win here last year, so that's okay. But they're kind of in turmoil as well. Look, if it wasn't for the Bears situation, the New York Giants would be in all kinds of problems. Right now, they fired the Clapper, right? They, they fired him. He's out of town. A lot of people think that he was still working for Dallas. Freddie Kitchens is in. But the bigger problem here is that Joe Judge comes out and basically says, yeah, I'd be upset with the coaching as well. Some of the players come out and say, yeah, you know what? The coaching is a problem. Well, are we all blaming it all on Jason Garrett? I mean, are we really? Because since Dave Gettleman took over, you know, the Giants are 18 and 40 with no playoff appearances in four years. Say what you want. Look, Jerry Reese was 90 and 82, 8 and 2 with two rings in the postseason. In Reese's final four years, he was 25 and 35, but he was fired. Uh, you know, halfway through the season. I, I don't want to say that this is just a Jason Garrett thing. And I don't even want to say it's a Joe Judge thing, although I think Judge is over his head as well. It's a David Gettleman thing. And it goes all the way down from Gettleman to his choice of Daniel Jones and making him the guy. A- and it goes to Joe Judge, who was clearly unprepared for this role, and then hiring Jason Garrett. It's a mess in New York. It is a mess. But I will say this. There's a lot of talent in New York. Saquon Barkley's coming back now. He's got a week under his belt. Yeah, I think he's going to start to look healthy. Kenny Galladay, their big free agent acquisition, getting a little bit healthier. He's going to be back. And Tony is now off the injury report. And you're starting to look at this team. You go, okay, they're getting healthy. You know, Thomas came back last week. That's a big offensive line addition. Maybe they could start doing something. I I wouldn't put my money on it. (laughs) But I I I have a hard time betting against them right now. Jets. Houston, the other New York team. You want to talk about messes? Here you go. Houston. Houston is actually a favorite here. A small under a field goal favorite. The Texans, look, they forced five turnovers in each of the last two games. Texans are playing tough. David Culley has them playing tough. New York, minus 15 turnover ratio for the year. And now Michael Carter's out. Robert, uh, Jets coach Robert Sala said he's got a mild high ankle sprain, but it's going to be a couple of weeks and he's going to be out. So, 
The question is, you know, what, who do they go to for quarterback? Is it going to be Zach Wilson? Is it going to be Joe Flacco? Uh, you know, Flacco played okay last week in just a dumb decision. Why? He does nothing for the franchise. It was stupid, right? But he looked okay, and Elijah Moore looked great with him. He had a 92 PFF grade in Week 11. It was first among all wide receivers. This is one of those ugly games. Why go near it? Just why? I think the Houston Texans should be favored. I think the Houston Texans at home are probably going to win this game with Tyrod Taylor. But you're, you're laying points with the Texans. I mean, just understand... What has your life become as a degenerate gambler when you're walking up to the ticket window and saying, I'm laying points with the Houston Texans, please? You know, they should be favored. I get it. But, oh, that is an ugly game. Here's another ugly game. Atlanta Jacksonville. Atlanta is a one-point favorite against the Jags on the road. Jags have yet to score 19 points or more, <laughs> more than 19 in a home game. Their offense looks done. And Jamal Agnew. Uh, you know, he's out for the season. He kind of stepped up to become their guy. Who knows what happened to Marvin Jones? LaVisca Chenault just never amounted to anything. Trevor Lawrence is having all sorts of issues and all sorts of throwing problems out there. And you start to look at the Jaguars and you go, you know, they can stop the run. Well, that's great. And they can. Look, they're, they're middle of the pack and they're stopping the run, which is great. Atlanta can't run the ball anyway. Atlanta doesn't even try to run the ball. Patterson's banged up, and Mike Davis was going to be the guy. Clearly, he's not the guy, you know. So it's on Matt Ryan to throw it all over the field, except, you know, Ridley's having his issues, and now you're basically throwing to a tight end all day long. And I don't care he's a unicorn or whatnot. Yeah, that's all it is. It's Gage. It's a tight end. It's a carries. I mean, they got – this is a bad offense by Atlanta, but you know what they're going to do. They're going to throw the ball. That has been Jacksonville's problem. They can't stop, you know, the, the – the, air game, which weirdly they came into San Francisco, tried to shut down the run game, and then San Francisco said, okay, we could go to the air as well. Jacksonville is very limited in what they can do, but they are getting points at home here. They're going up against an Atlanta team that has shown that they do not have the ability to beat good teams, but they could kind of hang with bad teams and, and win games against bad teams. This is a game Atlanta should win. This is a game on paper that everyone's looking at and they go, yeah, you know, Atlanta should be the favorite. Atlanta should win. Jacksonville's been playing some good games, though. Look, that San Francisco game, it just got away from them. And Trevor Lawrence is having a hard time. Look, I still believe in his long-term future. I think he got a bad coach. I don't think Urban Meyer is made for the NFL at all. I, I don't think he—I didn't think he was going to work in the NFL, and I certainly don't think so any longer. And you look at the Jacksonville Jaguars, and you look at a guy like Trevor Lawrence, and you go, there's so much more to him. There's so much more potential. There's so much more to tap into with him. And when you start to talk about what else can you tap into, that's always dangerous to bet against, especially at home, especially getting points, and especially against a bad Falcons team. That's a situation. Look, I think Trevor Lawrence has a very bright future, and I think that future might click at the end of the year. And I said that in the beginning of the year. I think it might click at the end of the year. But who does it click against? Maybe Atlanta's that team with a bad defense, no running game. Atlanta's very one-dimensional. Maybe Atlanta's that team. But we do know the future is bright for Trevor Lawrence. Now let's go back to the future. We're sending you back to the future. Okay, all right. Bet, bet to, to the, the future. future. Bet to the future. Well, here they come. All of a sudden, the Patriots are back where everybody's looking at the Patriots. And I mentioned earlier, they are actually Super Bowl contenders. That's right. Look, last week, they were 33 to 1. They fell down to 20 to 1. Right now, today, they are 16-1 to to win the Super Bowl. The New England Patriots, oh, they're back in the conversation. And that is bet to the future. I'll tell you guys, you know, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, the Patriots are back. <laughs> Where did they, they fall from it? It's crazy how, how good they became, how quickly they became that good. It's absolutely nuts. All right, let's continue on. This is the late game slate on Sunday. Again, it's a shorter slate because obviously uh, the Sunday games, we have three Thursday night games instead of, well, three Thursday games instead of just the Thursday night game. So let's get back into it here. Chargers, Broncos. You know, the Chargers opened up a lot of people's eyes and they are a three-point favorite here. They should be. Justin Herbert looked fantastic. We understand that. He went for 90 yards rushing. He looked great. But they did struggle against Philadelphia in a game where I, I gave it away here. I told everybody that I liked it. It was my best bet of the week. And they won and they were covered. But they didn't look great. And even against the Steelers, look, a lot of good comes out of that. Oh, Justin Herbert was fantastic. He's got 90 yard rushing. He looked fantastic. Oh, man, he was amazing. Oh, the offense looked great. Yeah, they all did. All of that is true. But they also almost lost 
to a Steelers team missing their three best defensive players, two starting cornerbacks, uh, you know, their number one best defensive player, number one best defensive player potentially in the league. They did it, you know, in a game where Ben Roethlisberger was able to have success against them. So all of a sudden, Denver comes in. They're off of a bye week. I don't think this is as easy as people make it out to be. Now, look, Justin Herbert is 3-1 and one with over 100 quarterback rating on the road this season, so he plays well on the road. But Denver is coming in off of a bye week. Teddy Bridgewater historically has been great as an underdog. And you start to look at what Denver did over the course of the bye week, and this means something to me. They wound up locking up all of their wide receivers. They signed them to long-term contracts. They went out of their way to make sure that, okay, you know what? We're going to make sure that these guys are locked up and happy. So now they're happy. Now you come in. They take on the Chargers who have the worst run defense in the NFL by 20-plus yards. They could get run all over. And you got Williams. You got Melvin Gordon. You also have the wide receiver. I mean, offensively, this team has a lot. Noah Fant, you have a lot of talent on the Denver Broncos offensive side of the ball. And if they can establish the run, which, look, anybody can against the Chargers, this game is not going to be as cut and dry as everybody kind of wants to make it out to be. Next Rams, Packers. Packers are a one-point favorite in Lambeau. Rams are coming off of a bye week. Last time we saw the Rams, they were being humiliated on national TV. McVay off of a bye week. All right, something to think about. The, the Green Bay Packers, they're dealing with injuries. Aaron Rodgers complained, oh, his toe was hurting so much, so, oh, so much worse than turf toe. You know, after the game, he was with angry. He was uh, annoyed because he was in so much pain, they said. Oh, okay. Well, the Packers offensive line also lost Elgin Jenkins to an injury. Uh, David Bakhtiari, who they were kind of expecting to come back, had a second surgery. Green Bay is banged up. Remember, Jones is still out, even though I do like Dylan. So you start to think, all right, you know, Green Bay is at home, and they still are in this position. But the Rams are coming off of a bye week, and they're going up against a weakened offensive line with that big-time interior push against Aaron Rodgers, who at worst—I don't know how—look, there's a lot of people that don't believe how injured Rodgers is and whatnot, but even if he's somewhat limited, you know, that's limited to getting away from guys like Aaron Donald, limited to get away from a guy like Von Miller, who now will be a pass rush specialist. He's going to be throwing Devontae Adams right one-on-one with Jalen Ramsey. It's a good matchup for the Rams in one of those few spots. One thing you got to worry about is potentially the cold. It's supposed to be, you know, into the low 30s there. Sean McVay, it doesn't play there often, but he's one and two in cold weather games. That means anything to you. All right, Minnesota, San Francisco. I mentioned San Francisco. They have looked really good, but... Again, it was a good home spot on Monday Night Football where I told you guys that they were going to give the Rams all kinds of problems. And then they went on the road. Look, it's a travel game. And I thought Jacksonville was going to you know, play them well, but it, it's still Jacksonville. Now you have Minnesota. And Minnesota is a team that coming off of that Green Bay win, they looked fantastic. Kirk Cousins is fantastic this year. You want a guy for an MVP award? You know, No one's mentioned him, but you put Kirk Cousins there. He's got the third best passer rating in the NFL. Third best. He doesn't make – look, he's not making mistakes. He's not turning the ball over. Oh, having Jefferson and Thielen certainly help, and same thing with Dalvin Cook. The Vikings have played six games this year decided by four points or less. They're 2-4 and four in those games. 2-4. and four. Guys, you know, bounce here, bounce there. Minnesota is one of the best teams in the league, and I think that you could start to see that in certain games, and this is one of those games. Minnesota, you want us to believe going out there and beating a Green Bay team that has some injuries – starts to make people believe. But going out here on the road and beating San Francisco after that win, all of a sudden you're going to have people's attention. San Francisco has won three or four, but they are just one and four at home this season. So it's not like Santa Clara is this big, giant, you know, home field advantage. You start to look at the overall picture, though. The Rams are seven and three. The Rams have the hardest remaining schedule in the NFL. The Niners are five and five. They have the third easiest remaining schedule. You start to look at a San Francisco team and you go, yeah, that 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 could be a playoff team. That could they, they could be better than the Rams. That could be. And it's all about Garoppolo. You know, we had Trey Lance and here he comes. Here comes the kid. Garoppolo has been fantastic. His overall grade, according to PFF, uh, weeks one to seven was 56.8. That's 28 out of 32 quarterbacks. Horrendous. Weeks eight, nine, 10, and 11. The last four weeks, 885.7 first. First, leads the NFL in passer rating, leads the NFL in yards per attempt. The Niners are winning because of Jimmy Garoppolo. The Niners are winning 
because Jimmy Garoppolo looks fantastic. The Niners are winning because Jimmy Garoppolo is the guy you can count on now. That is really interesting. And now, you know, we know that Samuel's having a good year and George Kittle is back, but the Niners are winning because of Jimmy Garoppolo. Do you think that Garoppolo could have success against this Minnesota team? Now, I just want to give one quick word. Look, what happened to Everson Griffin this week, the the weird Instagram thing, and I, I hope he's okay for his safety. It was a scary, it was a scary situation. But no matter what, on the field is what we have to talk about. We have to talk about X's and O's. That loss hurts Minnesota. You know, he's a good player. And now they lost him, and they lost Daniil Hunter earlier in the season. I think eventually that comes back and bites them. All right, let's talk about Cleveland-Baltimore, the Sunday night game. Baltimore's three-and-a-half-point favorites. Look, this is all about Lamar to me. If Lamar is healthy, Lamar wins this game going away. I think that the Baltimore Ravens are that underrated team right now. The Ravens are 3-1 and one at home this season. They actually just beat the Bears with Lamar's backup, right? They've won the three or less four in this series. The Ravens have the second-ranked run defense in the NFL. They're going to be at least able to limit the Browns who Nick Chubb is fantastic, but you can't just hand the ball off to him every single time. Or maybe Kevin Stefanski thinks you can, right? I mean, because you cannot trust Baker Mayfield at this point in his career. You cannot trust this guy. Baker Mayfield's dealing with a toe issue. He's dealing with a leg issue. He's dealing with, a, you know, a bad arm, and it's a peck, and it's a problem, and he, you know, he's living out of stadium. I mean, he's on hard times here, Baker Mayfield. And you look at Baker Mayfield, and you go, I don't trust him in a big spot. I don't trust him on the road. I don't trust him in prime time. And I don't trust him against a good defense. Well, he's on the road. It's a big spot. It's prime time. It's a division foe. And it's a good defense. So I don't trust Baker Mayfield. I do trust Lamar Jackson. Now, I think that when you look at this and you go, is Lamar healthy is the real question that you have to answer. There's no way anybody could go out here and you cannot bet on this game if Lamar Jackson isn't healthy. We have to know that. We have to. And, you know, the injury isn't an injury. It's an illness. And that's a mysterious illness. And we don't know. Look, we all have gone through. It's not COVID, okay? They told us that. But we've all gone through physical problems and and sicknesses, and it affects people differently. I've had the flu. We all have, right? But I've had the flu where it knocks me out for two days, and then, you know, two days later, I'm fine. I get my fluids in me. I'm okay. And I go, man, that was, that was like a rough weekend over there. And, and you're okay. You also have people that have the flu, and I've had this in my life, and I'm sure you guys have, where you go out there, you look terrible, you feel terrible for three, four days, and, and then it lingers, and then it lingers, and then you go, wow, I lost like eight pounds because I, I did nothing but like throw up all week, and it, it just lingers and it hurts you. Lamar Jackson, we have to know what, what was this illness? How bad did it affect you? Did, did you lose weight? Well, how were you? I mean, reports that I had heard about Lamar Jackson last week is he came to the stadium and his knees were shaking. He could barely stand up. You know, they won't tell us what the illness is, but it sounds kind of fluish to me. I wonder how bad it got for him. I wonder, you know, how much, because Lamar Jackson has to be 100% for them to win this game because Lamar Jackson is kind of this team. All right, let's talk about the Monday night game. Seattle, Washington. Washington is, it's about a pick right now. I saw Washington about a half a point favorite. It's about a pick And look, this is all about the Seahawks. I, I will quickly say for Washington, Taylor Heineke looked good. I thought he would once you got rid of the idea that Ryan Fitzpatrick was going to come back and take his job. He's very gunslinger. I've heard uh, Brett Favre mention, obviously, without, you know, the success or a lot of the talent, but the style of play of Brett Favre. I've heard that mentioned. Antonio Gibson coming back healthy really is an impact. And I think it's an impact that people are, are overlooking. You look at this team and you go, they lost Logan Thomas and, uh, you know, they have some problems, but they're starting to come into their own. Terry McLaren, all of a sudden, uh, is back to being that number one receiver. So Washington has some good stuff going on. And now they did lose Chase Young, which is an issue. And that was one of the reasons why I, I could just couldn't take them last week, even though I liked them. And I liked the Ron Rivera return to Carolina. I couldn't take them because I wanted to see how this team would be without Chase Young. Meanwhile, I've been saying Chase Young should be on a, a milk carton from here on out because I hadn't seen him all year. I, I just couldn't find Chase Young. So maybe his loss isn't as devastating. With that said, this is all about the Seahawks. And the question is, what has anyone watched in what Russell Wilson and the Seahawks offense since they returned to make you believe that they could beat anybody. 
The Seahawks have scored 13 points in two games since Russell Wilson returned, and Russell Wilson's airmailing it all over the place. Washington, by the way, has allowed 20 points in their past two weeks. So you got that, right? The Seahawks have scored one touchdown in the last 20 offensive possessions. 11 punts, two turnover on downs, two drives ended, you know, either the game or the half, two field goals, two interceptions, and a touchdown. That's terrible. Russell Wilson's third down numbers from 2021. 13 of 37, 10 first downs to Chiefs for 218 yards, two touchdowns, and one pick. 35% is the worst third down completion percentage among every single quarterback that has started a game in the NFL this year. I I mean, Russell Wilson is terrible. Terrible right now. He is the worst quarterback in the NFL. I mean, you know, right now. Now, you can say, hey, he's going to get healthy. He's going to turn the corner. You know, sure, I'm listening to that conversation. I like Russ. I get it. But how do you put your money on that? You can't. And since entering the week six bye week last season, right, and they were 5-0 and at that point. Remember, Russell Wilson was going to, there was a prop playoff. Would he break 55 touchdowns and have the most? Remember, the Seahawks have gone 10 and 12 cents, including that playoff loss. So, to me, this game is all about Seattle's ineptitude, what Seattle can't do what Seattle has had problems doing more than anything else. You know, you could talk about Washington and we could have a conversation about what Washington should be and what Washington isn't and who they're missing and what the problems are with Washington. And I get it. Look, Washington has let me down. I had them winning this division in the East. I did. I had them going far into the playoffs. I thought they really turned a corner. Now, albeit that was without Ryan Fitzpatrick, okay? And I do think that the Fitzpatrick reasoning was one of the reasons why I did like them, uh, including with Samuel. So injuries have absolutely destroyed this team. That is, that is That's fine. This is a Washington team that is mediocre. They're in the middle of the road. But this is a Seattle team that people are still looking at as a good team. They are a bad football team. And Russell Wilson right now is a bad NFL quarterback. You can tell me he's still hurt, and I'm going, okay, that, that's fine. That's a reason. You can sit back and say, he might turn the corner. He might look good. Well, I heard he looked good, and we watched all those workout videos, and, oh, man, Russ looks ready to go. He looks ready to go. Oh, he looked crazy. He looked pumped up. Here you go. And everyone was excited against Green Bay. And then he went out there and he looked like hot garbage. And then last week, all of a sudden, Russell Wilson, oh, well, you know what? He's got one week under him. One week to get his legs on. Oh, no problem. Russell Wilson looked terrible last week. His own hometown announcers were making excuses for the throws that he was throwing and basically saying, guys, yeah, Russell, get back. He'll be okay. But I don't know. I don't know if he will. I think that this might just be one of those lost seasons. They might just shut him down if he doesn't look good on Monday night. It might be one of those, okay, give it up, lost season. They cannot run the ball because Chris Carson is out and they haven't had any success. Pete Carroll is frustrated that they can't run the ball, so he's going to try to let Russ cook. Russ Cook has been burning the kitchen all year long. Russ is not the same player. Russ looks very bad out there. I know his primetime numbers, and I get it. It's hard to bet against Russell Wilson in primetime. There's no way, no way that the Seattle Seahawks should be even in this game with the way that Russ has played the last two weeks. So if you're going out there and betting on the Seattle Seahawks, what you're betting on is a miraculous turn of events that just takes Russell Wilson completely differently than what we have watched. Because what we have watched has been bad, terrible football from Russell Wilson. All right, guys, that's going to do it for me. Enjoy all the turkey and keep, you know, listen, enjoy the turkey for the next couple of days. Have those sandwiches. It's nothing like a, the, the sandwich for, for those on Friends, you know, the moist maker in the middle. There's nothing like a great turkey sandwich the days after. So maybe you'll be eating a turkey sandwich on Sunday and on Thursday, watching all the NFL games. Enjoy it with your family. Make some money this week. I'm Tom Bard for Wagering Week. We'll be back, and you can bet on that. This has been a presentation of the Sports Garden Network. To be part of the show, call 1-855-4-GARTEN. That's 1-855-442-7386. Connect with us on Facebook and Twitter at Sports Garden. That's G-A-R-T-E-N. Get all your credible sports intelligence 24 hours a day by visiting us at sportsgarden.com.